Welcome back to Psych Your Crime and the first episode of 2019. I'm your host, Nicole Mann, and I hope the year is treating you good so far. Now, I want to thank everybody who supported us in 2018. We took off way better than I ever imagined that we would. So I really appreciate all of your support and all the people who listen every single week. Thank you. And I hope you keep coming back. Now, if you want to show us the support, like always, give us five stars on whatever platform you listen to us on. And you can always drop by our Patreon page and throw us a little change. I'm actually going to leave a link down below to a Venmo page as well. For those of you who asked about giving one-time donations, anything would be much appreciated. We are looking at creating another podcast, um, one that's maybe a little more comedic. Um, So anything that you can send our way would be truly helpful. Now this week, we're going to look into Elliot Roger on the 2014 Isla Vista Spree Killing. What makes this so bizarre is the fact that Roger belonged to the incel community, a predominantly male online community that is fueled by toxic masculinity and deep-seated hatred for women. The incel community started on a website in 1997 called the Involuntary Celibacy Project. The word incel is a combination of involuntary and celibate. Ironically enough, it was started by a woman who is named Alana. Alana had been a late bloomer when it came to dating and wanted to create a safe place for people who were not celibate by choice. Initially, the website had both men and women sharing stories of disconnection from the opposite sex, whether it was due to emotional baggage from past experiences inexperience or low self-esteem, the stories tended to be very common, relatable experiences. One couple actually met on the website and eventually got married. Now, by 2000, Alana had settled into a good place romantically and gave control of the website over to one of the male members. It wasn't until the Isla Vista killings that she found out what became of her website. Alana told Elle magazine, quote, I can't uninvent the word or the website. End quote. Since then, the website has devolved into a woman-hating anti-feminist pity party. This has expanded to message board sites like 4chan and Reddit. And in November 2017, Reddit shut down its made incel message board due to the increasingly disturbing content being posted on the site. Now, let's look into what the modern incel actually believes. J.M. Berger, an expert at the International Center for Counterterrorism in The Hague, states, quote, misogyny isn't new, and ideological misogyny isn't new. Having a distinct movement that is primarily defined by misogyny, that is fairly novel, end quote. Being involuntarily celibate and being part of the incel community are two different things. Plenty of people of all genders aren't having sex that would like to. Yet incels see the idea of a female who is involuntarily celibate as an oxymoron. They believe that unless a woman is severely deformed, she can have sex whenever she wants. It isn't surprising that in a subculture where women are considered shallow, stupid, and evil, that women's clothing is also deeply suspect. Incels see women as either stasis, who are hyperfeminine, attractive and unattainable that only date chads men who are muscular popular and presumed to sleep around or beckys the average woman 
women in general are also referred to in dehumanizing terms, such as femoids or FHOs, female humanoid organisms. One explanation describes a Becky as wearing loose, baggy clothing that hides small tits and a flat ass, and needing to wear super tight yoga pants just to get a few looks. She carries a $5 backpack and has a nerdy bun because she thinks guys like the natural look. Meanwhile, Astisi has a naturally curvy body with big tits and ass that give men instant erections. She has sexy and majestic long blonde hair, her makeup is on point, and she carries a $2,000 Gucci bag and lives in luxury. In another version, Becky is a feminist who will likely dye her hair green, pink, or blue after attending college and post provocative pictures because she needs attention despite the fact that she's only a six. Stacy, on the other hand, once again, has naturally blonde hair and shows off her body because she knows she can make money off of virgin losers. I just, I just, I don't even know what to say. But think for a second about that description of the Stacy, that she makes money off of virgin losers. Even in their derogatory description of women, they put down their own community because many incels are virgins. Now, there are only two type of women in the world of incels. Both are white, thin, and attractive. But while incels seem to believe that the untouchable and pretty much non-existent Stacy is never going to sleep with them, they feel that they are owed attention and sex from the Becky. This is also super telling. They complain about not being able to get laid, yet it's only by women that fit a very specific aesthetic. It cancels out nearly two-thirds of the female population, which begs the question, could they have missed flirtations by these women that don't fit the CCR Becky mold? Could they have even been asked out by them and just turned it down because it didn't fit their fantasy idea of who they want to have sex with, who they feel they deserve to have sex with? It makes it all the more just ridiculous. Now, they're also preoccupied with the idea of a sexual economy. Some believe that 20% of men are having 80% of all the sex. Think about that for a second. For every 10 women in the United States who are going to get laid this week, eight of them are going to have sex with just two dudes. That's just gross and absolutely not what's happening. They also say that bottom 80% of men are left fighting for the bottom 20% of females. This works out for 70% of the males, leaving just 10% of the males to struggle for the bottom 10% of females who only want to have sex with the top 20% of males. In other words, this makes no sense. This just... it. It, once again, it's hurting my brain because it makes so little sense. But incels see themselves as the bottom 10% and view their celibate status as a mathematical problem that is rigged against them. And it's very clear this fixation translates into an obsession not over just sexual privilege that they feel more attractive people have, but a financial one. It's because of her looks that Becky has a $2,000 Gucci bag while Becky has a $5 backpack because she just isn't as hot. It's no surprise then that some incels have called for sexual Marxism. 
Never thought I'd have to say that in my life, but sexual Marxism. A system in which every person is matched with a partner of similar wealth and attractiveness. This is where the belief they are entitled to sex comes in. In many forums, this has started discussions suggesting that sexual Marxism justifies rape. For members of the incel community, sex is very out of reach. These men believe they are physically unattractive and that women will never be attracted to them. Incels see themselves as sexually handicapped and therefore unable to receive female affection they believe they are entitled to. After years of failing to get all the sex they want, these men eventually conclude the problem lies not in their behavior, but in female nature. Now, because when you're a dude in your mid-twenties and you still haven't had a sexual relationship, which is a better explanation? That A, you should just improve your social skills, actively pursue relationships by risking humiliation and rejection so that eventually you will meet someone who will say yes or that it's just not your fault women don't want you women are shallow no matter what you do you're always going to be a virgin see that's the appeal of the incel community that it allows men to relieve themselves of the responsibility for their biggest problems which i personally think is their personalities but others deem as psychological issues now if you blame your lackluster dating life on bad genetics and the shallowness of women, it is much easier than taking responsibility by admitting your own decisions got you where you are. Learned helplessness, that's what this is called. Learned helplessness becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If a young man were to ask a woman out in college, but he got rejected every time, he may start to think, well, every time I ask a girl out, I get crushed. Maybe I'm just completely unattractive. As soon as the man thinks he's completely unattracted to women, there's no reason for him to ask another woman on a date. He's confident that doing that would only lead to more rejection. So of course, now he's stopped completely trying to meet anybody. It's guaranteeing that he's definitely not gonna find a relationship, which only reinforces his belief that he's unappealing. Because the incel community bases its philosophy on the presupposition that involuntary celibates are incapable of attracting women, it's a breeding ground for extreme and hateful rhetoric. These men feel like their backs are against a wall. There's nothing they can do that's gonna change their situation. So they focus their thoughts on self-victimization and getting revenge against women in society for putting them in such a bad situation. The incel community is an unfortunate example of how failure can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. As soon as an involuntary celibate believes they cannot change their situation for the better, that belief makes itself come true. These men's beliefs entitle them to completely stop looking for relationships and companionship with the opposite sex. And if you can't be with women, the easiest way to deal with frustration is to blame them. We could scoff and laugh at the incel community for being pathetic, but I see it as a reminder of how powerful psychology can be and the fact that it can cause us to twist our own thinking in and cause even greater problems than we already have. Now let's look at Elliot Roger and how his incel journey actually played out. Roger was born 
in London, England, United Kingdom on July 24, 1991. His parents were British filmmaker Peter Roger, known for his 2009 documentary, Oh My God, and his work on second unit director on The Hunger Games. His mother is a Malaysian research assistant, Lee Chin Roger, and he had one younger sister. His paternal grandfather was a photojournalist, George Roger, and the family later immigrated to and settled in the U.S. with Roger being raised in Los Angeles. His parents later divorced and his, family, his father remarried a Moroccan actress, Somaya Akhouni, who bore him a second son. Ever since he was eight years old, Roger had been seeing therapists and receiving psychiatric treatment, including medications for a variety of mental illnesses. However, he refused to take any of the medication that was prescribed to him. Roger's mother stated her belief that he suffered from Asperger's syndrome even though he was never actually diagnosed. In school, Roger was heavily bullied and he claimed he was unable to make friends, though people later said that he was the one who rebuffed their attempts at being friendly. At some point, he started to he started and maintained a YouTube account in, he, in which he complained about his loneliness and rejection by others. He also frequented online communities that fell in the manosphere, which has been commonly associated with misogyny and anti-feminism. He moved to Isla Vista on June 4th, 2011 to attend Santa Barbara City College, but he later dropped out in February of 2012. From 2011 to 2012, Roger was involved in a series of minor incidents in which he threw or spade drinks on couples or groups of people he was jealous of. And on July 20th, excuse me, 2013, he attended a party and tried to interact with girls but was ignored. He then tried to push several girls off a 10-foot ledge but failed and was pushed off instead by men at the party. He left only to return to get his sunglasses and instead he was beaten up by the same men. He told investigating officers, but they determined that he was the aggressor. According to him, this is what caused him to begin planning his rampage. Starting in September, Roger used pocket money from his parents and grandparents that he saved up to fund his rampage. He visited shooting ranges and bought three handguns, a Glock 34 and two Sig Sauer P226s from three different cities. He also began work on a manifesto which he would title My Twisted World, The Story of Elliot Roger. On January 25th, 2014, Roger performed a citizen's arrest on his roommate, Chang Yon Hong, and accused him of stealing a set of candles that belonged to him. After being arrested, Hong pleaded guilty to the theft, but the case was dismissed by police due to insufficient evidence. On April 30th, Roger's parents saw his YouTube videos and became alarmed, so they contacted the police. However, when the officers interviewed Roger at his apartment, he downplayed the situation. They decided he did not meet the criteria for an involuntary mental health hold, nor was there any reason to legally search his residence, so they left. At the time, Roger had been planning the spree and had two of his three handguns in his possession. He claimed in his manifesto, that a search would have ruined his plans. Quote, I didn't start this war. I wasn't the one who struck first, but I will finish it by striking back. I will punish everyone, and it will be beautiful. Finally, at long last, I can somehow show the world my true worth.
end quote. Those were Roger's last words. On May 23, 2014, Roger started his rampage, which he titled The Day of Retribution. He started by stabbing three people to death. They were Hong, his roommate, his other roommate, George Chen, and their friend, We Hand David Wang. Police investigators assume he started with Wang, then moved to Hong, and finally to Chen, and that he killed them in separate events, making efforts to hide their murders after each occurrence. At 9.17 p.m., Roger uploaded his final YouTube video entitled, Elliot Rogers Retribution. In it, he described his plans and motivations. And then, he sent his manifesto a minute later to 34 people, including his parents, other family members, his therapist, former school teachers, and childhood friends. Then he went to the Alpha Phi sorority house near the University of California, Santa Barbara, with the intention of massacring all the occupants inside. When his knocking on the front door went unanswered, Roger shot three Delta 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 sorority sisters who were nearby, killing Katherine Cooper and Veronica Weiss and wounding Bianca DeCock. Then he drove further into town and fired into the Isla Vista Deli Mart from inside his BMW, killing a student named Christopher Michaels Martinez. After killing Michaels Martinez, Roger drove away from Isla Vista Deli Mart. He was spotted leaving by four responding foot patrol officers, but they did not suspect him to be the shooter at the time and allowed him to flee. Roger continued his rampage, shooting several pedestrians in a drive-by shooting and striking others with his car. At some points, he drove on the wrong side of the street. He ultimately wounded 12 people in this phase of his rampage, six by gunshots and six with his vehicle. At one point, Roger got into a brief gunfight with a responding sheriff's deputy and escaped unharmed. Near the end of the rampage, Roger got into another gunfight, this time with three sheriff's deputies near Little Acorn Park. He suffered a gunshot wound to the left hip. He fled but was closely pursued by police at this point. He crashed into a bicyclist named Keith Chong, seriously injuring him. When fatally, And then he fatally shot himself in the head. He was 22 at the time of his death. Police investigated the crashed BMW and handcuffed both Roger and, and Chong. Having initially believed Chong was a second gunman, they later determined him to be a victim and released him from police custody. The day after the killing spree, officers went to Roger's apartment to investigate and found the bodies of his first three victims. Roger's final YouTube video was discovered after the killing spree and deleted from the website. However, it was too late. It had been copied and reposted by users already. Segments of it were controversially used by several news networks, including ABC, CBS, NBC, and MSNBC. However, Fox News was the one network that refused to air any parts of the video and instead showed still photographs. Many were concerned that the video's repeated airing would cause copycat crimes. The controversy over the airing of the video was compared to that of the Virginia Tech shooter who killed 32 people and injured 17 others during a massacre at his school. Much like Roger, the Virginia Tech shooter created a highly detailed manifesto in a series of videos before he committed his rampage. These videos were aired repeatedly by news stations after the massacre, which also led to controversy and public concerns of copycat crimes. 
Now, on the day after the Isla Vista killing spree, a candlelight memorial was held in honor of the victims. This was followed by a memorial service at UCSB's Harder Stadium, which had over 20,000 people in attendance. The rampage also occurred during a period of very high pro-gun control and anti-gun violence sentiment in the United States due to other mass shootings, most notably the 2012 Newtown, Connecticut shooting that killed 27 people and injured two others. Richard Martinez, the father of Christopher Michaels Martinez, blamed politicians and the National Rifle Association for allowing the killing spree to happen. Calls for improvement on the healthcare system were also renewed, with at least two congressmen calling for discussions and bills on the topics. Critical attention was focused on Rogers' earlier contact with the police in April, where he managed to convince them that he wasn't a threat to himself or others, even though he had already begun to plan his rampage and purchase guns. As a result, California legislatures passed a law that would allow a person's firearms to be seized at the request of a family member the person was believed to be a threat to themselves or others. Despite some criticism from pro-gun rights groups, the law went into effect in 2016. When Rogers' motives for the rampage became public, it led to a variety of reactions and discussions about misogyny and violence against women in American culture. The conversation led to the usage of the hashtag NotAllMen, which argued that not all men are misogynistic and commit crimes against women. Its first use dated to 2011, however the hashtag came under criticism because people felt it was deflecting from sensitive topics such as sexual assault and for not being helpful in the discussion about mis misogyny. In response to the use of the not all men hashtag, a female Twitter user created Yes All Women to express that while not all men are sexist, all women are affected by or live under fear of sexism and misogyny of any degree. Within four days, the hashtag was retweeted 1.2 million times, surpassing similar ha hashtags that had come before it, and became known for being used by women who shared personal stories about gender-based harassment and discrimination. However, the discussion about misogyny generated some criticism from people who argued that it unintentionally deferred attention away from Rogers' hateful comments about men and the fact that he killed more men than women. Now, you do have to remember, he originally intended to kill every single member of a sorority. So, had that not gone awry, I think those numbers probably would have been about even. Now, others felt that it took attention away from his mental health issues. Either way, this was a truly tragic and sad sad event that probably could have been it probably could have been avoided had more people paid attention to his behavior things such as the fact that he did get into a physical altercation and he did try to physically harm oh, multiple women before the rampage now that's going to be it for this week's episode i hope you join me again in two weeks when we discuss the 1960s torture mother and how she created a real-life Lord of the Flies that led to the death of a 16-year-old girl. In the meantime, I hope you sleep better knowing how and why people can do such awful things.